Hey, and welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about our initial impressions with Pendulum, many, many other games. This is a jam-packed episode, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Board Game Impact. As always, I am Bruce and I'm joined by... This is Josh. And uh, Josh, uh, before we get into anything, we needed to save two very important words. Um, how about you, Sam? Uh, I just want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you to all of our listeners um, and all of our donors from our uh, most recent recording where we uh, did a live recording for Extra Life. Yeah, and I like seriously cannot thank y'all enough. So if you if this is your first episode, um, we're a board game podcast that talks about games we're playing, all those kind of things, but we both come from an educational lens so that way you can learn about what experiences we're having, what we're excited about, so you can make informed decisions for your gaming group. However, last episode, um, we lived up to our motto of ending every, every episode on go make a positive impact on the world by participating in a thing called Extra Life. Extra Life's a nonprofit. It's been around since 2008. Since then, they've raised over $70 million benefiting Children's Miracle Network. So essentially, it has gamers use their platforms um, to raise awareness to help kids. Um, and they did Tabletop Appreciation Weekend, which Josh and I both created a team for called Tabletop Alliance. And uh, we did a 10-hour stream, and some of our friends were on there um, playing games. So thank you to those individuals as well. Um, they actually made some cameos on our last episode. Um, but that day, Josh, we were able to raise $895 for um, kids' children's hospitals. I mean, it's just crazy awesome in so, so many good ways. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic time. Uh, great to get to game with a lot of folks that I personally haven't gotten a chance to play with for quite some time and for it to go to such a fantastic cause and for our listeners and friends and family who were able to donate such a tremendous, tremendous amount of support and, and the love is um, unending at this point. And, yeah. and, and just thank you to everyone. Yeah. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, it was it was an amazing, amazing experience. It kind of flew by because um, we were so invested, but it was really nice. We had this uh, kind of like pixie dust sound every time somebody donated live. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to see that stream, you can actually go see it if you want to watch it. It's over on our Facebook, so facebook.com slash boardgameimpact. If you want to learn more about um, our Extra Life stuff, you can also find that on our Instagram which is Board Game Impact. Um, so yeah, go check that out. It's a really great cause. If you want to donate to um, that fundraiser, you still can because it's open for the rest of the year. Um, it's just how that platform works, um, which is really great. Um, so you can find those links still over on those pages. And we encourage you, if this is something that is meaningful to you and you have the means um, now or didn't have the means then um, and you'd like to, um, you can go on over there and do that or just spread awareness um, and learn more yourself. Um, and so, just a yeah. final note on that, Bruce, uh, before we move on, is this was the Tabletop Appreciation Day, but uh, Extra Life does a much larger um, event in November that involves uh, video gamers and, and live streamers raising money through through their uh, choices, but they obviously encourage board gaming and those types of things as well. So if you're interested in participating or, or creating a fundraising group, 
for extra life. You didn't miss your opportunity entirely. There is still uh, another event coming up in November that you can dedicate yourself, your own time and your own resources towards as well. Yeah. And actually, just to put it out there, if you want to join our team and just kind of have us be able to cheerlead and support you in that, um, you can join our team as well by going to the links on our Facebook page. Um, So that's why we called it uh, Tabletop Alliance, because it's more than just this podcast. It's just bringing gamers together to do good things. Um, And with that being said of doing good things, um, we also started something new, Josh, as you know. um, And that was we started running contests um, through Gleam, um, which is those things you see on social media platforms and things like that. And so we did a um, contest for a miniature market giveaway of a virtual gift card. This isn't sponsored by Miniature Market. This is just something of our own volition because we wanted to raise awareness towards that campaign. And drum roll, please. <laughs> Crystal from California. Congratulations. Woo! You win. Um, so I'll be reaching out to you and to give you this virtual gift card via email. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, we're going to be doing another giveaway. Um, and part of that giveaway, we actually um, have a secret code that we'll be sharing during this episode in the next episode. So stay tuned to make sure you hear the secret code to get some extra entries to win. Um, Because what you do is essentially you go down um, and you spend your time going on different platforms and things like that just to check it out to raise awareness. Um, And just for doing that, we want to say thank you back to you as a listener. So make sure to do that. Listen for the secret code. But yeah, Josh, you want to say any congrats to Crystal? Congrats, Crystal. And good luck to all of our entrants for our next giveaway. Hopefully we can um, raise a little bit more awareness and, and continue uh, getting getting this out there for folks. So congratulations, Crystal. Uh, hope you are able to pick up a, a nice new new game with your with your gift card. Yeah. So Josh, um, today we're going to be getting back into gaming um, and because we've been able to get some games to the table, which is fun. Um, Corticon to the table and also digital. Um, honestly, leaning into this time we're in has, as you and I talked before the show, really been really nice to uh, be able to dig in with some players that we normally wouldn't get to game with, uh, but also platforms have gotten so much better. Um, so Josh, weren't you either digital or in-person type things? Obviously, given COVID, like in-person situations may differ, listeners, than um, for you, for me, for Josh, things like that, because we're in two different places of the country. Um, but Josh, why don't you talk about a game? Absolutely. So I want to actually start with a analog game here, um, non-digital and and so for listeners who have been around for a while, you may recall or remember that I've been during quarantine, at least for the last couple months, have been limiting my in-person gaming to a smaller group uh, rather than going to the large meetups. And part of that is I have been working with three of my close friends here in Colorado to do, we've narrowed it down to a 10 by 5, so 10 games played five times each over the course of a year. Uh, Very, very fun and exciting way to kind of really get deep into some of these games that we really love. And I want to talk about one of those games that I had not heard of until one of our, the members of our group decided to put it up as one of their nominations for a 10 by five. And that is Domination's Road to Civilization. So Domination's was a game published by Holy Grail Games in 2019. And 
I've got to be honest with you. This flew completely under my radar. And I don't know how many folks radar this really came up on, but it is a fantastic game. So in dominations, you are draft. uh, You start with a bunch of triangle tiles and there is a starting hex uh, in the middle of the board. Um, And so it is a tile placement game where you are each of the points of the triangles have a different color on them and you will place tiles onto the board earning the resources of the points that that you connect so if for example you have a triangle that has a red side or a red point and an orange point and on the board there is a red point and an orange point that you can connect them to, you'll score some red and orange resources, which can be used to uh, buy technologies or build monuments or build cities um, through a variety of means uh, onto the board. And so you're building out your uh, your section of this civilization, trying to score points, trying to earn prestige, um, various different ways in which you're you're earning points throughout this game. And it is a beast to learn, a beast to teach. It is a heavy, deep game, but it is absolutely fantastic. I have played it now twice. Both games, I was telling Bruce before the show, I lost by 100 or more points. Um, so the, uh, the scores have ranged from in the mid two hundreds to the mid four hundreds. Whoa. I have always been in the mid 200 range and I still love it. I still want to get it back to the table and play more and figure it out because even though I'm getting stomped, it is so much fun. It is such a nice little puzzle to try and put together. I got to say, Josh, if you're getting whooped like that and still want to bring it back out, either masochism or just like really great game and creating some fun emotions. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, the the other thing that's kind of cool about the way they did this game is at the time of kickstarting, they also released four expansions with it on the Kickstarter. And each of those expansions have a pretty dramatic impact on the way the game is played. So what we're actually doing for our game group, since we're going to be playing it five times anyway, is we played the first time we just played the base game. Okay. The second time we played with one expansion and we're just going to keep doing adding a different expansion to it mm. to see how it changes the game, which way we prefer it. And then we may, at the end of this all, um, play a six time with all of the expansions. A Megazord. I think that might, I might, I, I think that might get a little overwhelming. We'll see. <laughs> so but you're going to go full very, on Power Rangers and Voltron. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I can't, I can't recommend this game highly enough. It is a bit pricey. Um, it's, it's a little bit more expensive, especially if you want to get all those expansions with it. But it is an absolutely fantastic game really difficult to explain in a short time frame but i again comes with my highest recommendation looks like the base game is normally msrp of 60 on that um okay yeah but obviously with the expansions things like that would change it up um so josh i'm looking at this on board game geek um and it has a really cool 
not but not polyomino that'd be the wrong word but like domino feel of like connecting all of these things um does that really play through in terms of that puzzle and um like are you able to pre-plan your turns at all or is it really waiting till the player before you kind of changes up the dynamic so it has this very interesting way of evolving throughout the game where early on your options are pretty limited your and and it makes it much harder for you to game plan because there are so few places available for you to place your tiles that it's very easy for an opponent to block off that move from mm. you but as the game progresses and this board gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you have more and more options for where to place. And so your ability to find a good placement for you uh, really, really um, kind of explodes throughout the game. One of the things that that is really cool about this is... So normally when you place, you get the benefits of the connecting side of your of your tile however because they're triangles eventually they will create a circle Mm -hmm. if you and if you are the person to place the last tile to complete a circle uh, i'm gonna blank on what they call it in the game i think it's um a nexus or something i can't remember the word that they use but when you complete that you don't score the sides you score all of the points that make up the circle Hmm. and so you earn a lot uh, potentially a lot more points or a lot more resources by completing circles so in addition to trying to find the best move for yourself you also don't want to give your opponents the opportunity to complete one of those circles score a bunch of points for themselves and, and take away those resources from you so there's a lot of really, really interesting decision-making that goes on. And we've had some different ways in which it's played out. Um, one game we had where everyone avoided those circles, like the Black Plague. <laughs> and so we had this really sprawling, weird map by the end of it. And we had another game where we didn't care so much about letting people complete circles. And so we had this very close, tight map. That that was very contained and and kind of structured very differently, and it it definitely has a significant impact on the way in which the game scores at that point as well. Yeah. So if you have one game, is what I'm hearing, Josh, is if you have a game where it kind of sprawls out and that's your only play of it, you might have a very different lens that you're looking at that game versus a more condensed one. Is that correct? Absolutely. I think this is a game that warrants multiple playthroughs and and like i said i've i've gotten stomped my two times that i've played it but it's something that i keep wanting to come back to and keep wanting to explore more and and learn more about so okay it's a very very interesting uh game and, and highly recommend it for folks like i said it flew under my radar i don't know how and i've heard very little about it so it, it may have flown under listeners' radars as well, so I, I I give this my strongest recommendation. If you can try and pick something like this up, uh, sounds, something that sounds interesting to you, um, definitely give it a shot. Okay, sweet, and that's uh, um, 
dominations uh, by Holy Grail Games, right? Absolutely. Okay. So, well, I got some. Bruce, it look, yeah. Yeah. Looks like you have some some digital things to talk about. I do, and sorry, I'm just kind of chomping at the bit to talk about this one. Um, but the dominations sound really cool, by the way. Um, but I have been binging Root. Um, so I am not, I haven't really been able to play with anybody, but my wife in person, because I'm actually, um, self-isolating right now, um, because, um, a student came to one of my classes, um, who lives with all people who are testing positive for COVID right now. Um, and obviously wish that student the best with their health and also wherever you are in the world, listeners, um, please just be safe. Um, and I hope that you and your family and friends are all in a safe environment. Luckily I'm not feeling anything and I'm good, but I'm kind of on lockdown, Josh. Um, and I thought that was just important for context of why I'm not able to game as well. Um, but I am so excited about this one, uh, Root Digital. Um, so, Josh, you, you and I have talked to Root a number of times in the past, um, with especially with the, fast, the fact that you introduced me to Vast by Leader Games, um, which hooked me in when you're like, you can play as the cave um, because you have the asymmetric things. Um, so Root is an asymmetric game that's got super, super cute art. Um, it looks like non-threatening because it's all woodland creatures, but it is a cutthroat war game. Um, 100% deep strategy. But about a week ago, they launched their digital adaptation on Steam. Um, which is currently still in early access, but as somebody who has a Mac, it's available on Mac, which like not everything's available at Mac, Josh. It's like, it's so nice to be able to play games for a change. Um, besides of course, board game arena. Um, but honestly, early adaption scared me for a couple days, um, for Cause it's full price, 1499. Um, but the fact was, I've been seeing like super positive reviews of the early access working because you never know because it's still they're still working on it, but it's still full price. And so I took the plunge and actually did just the other day a um, actually two hour live stream playing this um, over on Facebook. So if you want to watch it, you can go do that. I played as both the birds and the cats. Um, so the thing about Root is they've each each faction has their own different type of play style. So one has more of um, building buildings and maintaining resources and supply lines. Another one's got programming. That's the birds. Um, the first one was the cats. Another one has hand management um, and like area control. So that is more the um, Woodland Alliance, which are these little mice. And then there's the vagabond, which is um, a trash panda. Um, so a raccoon that runs around and that is actually a cooperative style play player, um, who has action selection type mechanics. Um, so it, it's phenomenal. Um, Josh, like it is phenomenal. Um, it's got online play already enabled. So I was able to play with our buddy, Justin. Um, so him and I played in about two days, we played about six games, um, because the games don't take long at all. Um, the thing is, though, it's also got like a solo mode on there because um, it's got an AI for every faction. Now, I will say the AI is not that robust yet, um, but you could do easy, medium, or hard. But 
I think that's part of the early access and training the AI, just to put that out there. Um, so it might be better to have some more players. But the really cool thing, too, is there's challenges. Um, so you can be challenged to play against the AI um, with like a longer game. So normally it's a 30 points. You could play to 40. I played one where it was two players. So it was myself versus the cats. I was the birds. And I couldn't win unless I destroyed them from the board. Um, another one where it's like you're the raccoon and you can't fight anything in a war game. Um, and so it's got like these fun challenges that because it only plays for like if you're playing by yourself, you could probably finish the game in about 25 minutes. Um, but if you're playing with somebody else, less than an hour, um, if you know what you're doing. Um, so much fun. I'm curious, what do you think about this? Because I just brain dumped on this because I had that much fun with it. And it's so cute, honestly. Well, for our longtime listeners, you may recall that Root, Bruce and I have very different That's viewpoints true. on Root. That's true. Um, so... I, I'll I'll be honest, I've been tempted by the digital adaptation mainly because I have a feeling that the issues and concerns that I have with the game may be eased slightly from uh doing this game online. My main issue with Root is it is a game that if one player does not know how to play the game and does not know all of the factions well, there is the potential for that person to kingmake without realizing they're kingmaking. And and that's a very frustrating thing for 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 a player who is trying to do really well and and has their game kicked out from underneath them because somebody misplayed because they didn't know how their actions affected other players at the table. Yeah. And so I think with a digital adaptation, you have the potential of gaming with friends who have maybe played this more, have a similar experience to you with it. And and you wouldn't have that issue as often as getting it to the table with people who are newer or or may not be as experienced with it and i can comment on that if you want me to yeah yeah Um, so like i have felt more lighthearted playing it digitally Mm -hmm. than playing it in person um in the past at least that's how my memory serves me right it's it's been a while because this is a game you really want to play in person at the full player count um so but here's the thing, like Root has a lot of little things <laughs> um, and you have to explain every faction. What's nice is that with this one, uh, well, with the, when you're playing it in person, every choice has a little bit more weight because you're physically moving the things. In this one, they've designed it where every faction's things um, all have, have a little action selection thing in the bottom right. Um, so when you're playing them, there's similar things for each of them um, for when you're playing as it. The other thing though, is normally when I'm playing it in person, I have to look across the board, across the table at an upside down board to try and see if I could potentially decipher what the heck is going on for that other player. In this one, it's got each faction on the side with like how many points they have currently, any other details I quickly need to know. And I can click it to see their player board oriented the right way and they stripped away all the BS and other artistic things to just make it easy to communicate the information. 
So they took away the rules part of it and focused in on like the like the aspects. But if you want to learn more of the nitty gritty, they have another tab where you can learn more about how that player acts at each phase of their thing. But they stripped away the things you don't need to know about how they play to focus in on what they get points from. Yeah, I think that's the thing that that kind of rubs me the wrong way about playing this in person is if I don't know how the Woodland Alliance wins, I don't know how they score points, then it's very easy for me to set that person up for a huge turn without ever knowing that that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and, and so it sounds like this is a little bit easier for you to see at first glance. Okay, what is it? I don't because really I don't need to know how that player earns points. Mm -hmm. I just or, you know, I don't need to know like what actions they need to take. I just need to know if I make this move, am I going to be giving them points? Right, right. So something to know is when you're playing, if the a if the and recognize this because I played it a number of times and I've played as every faction. Um Digitally and in person, of course. Um, when you're playing it digitally, if it's if the computer recognizes, because you can like sign in and create your own account, which they don't do email validation. So Justin put in like a completely fake email, like expletive, expletive. Are you actually reading this at gmail.com? Um, and it worked. Um, it actually let him create the account. Um, it's not a real email. It was kind of fascinating that that worked. Um, but he just wanted to test it. But what's nice is if it recognizes because you're logged into your account, if if you haven't played as that faction before, it has some stuff pop up to kind of not walk you through because there's a whole tutorial you can do to learn about each of the factions if you want to. Um, but it's more of like the, hey, here's this kind of like little nudging hint um, type of thing if it's your first time playing as that faction. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I'd be I'd be interested in giving this a shot. Um I don't know that because of my experiences with it in the past that I I'm jumping into an early access for for sure. $15. But definitely if this is something that goes on sale on Steam, I would definitely consider picking it up just to try it out. Now, Bruce, you mentioned the AI not being overly robust. In your playthroughs with Justin, have you been playing four-player games with AI or have you just been playing two-player games? Four-player with AI. Um, so, so there was a couple times where it's like, huh, we put the cats, so the Marquis de Cat, the more... Um, the ones that are really playing like the engine building of not of like putting out their buildings and things like that and their supply lines. Um, they, weren't, they weren't taking some things as... Ex- I'll call us experienced players. Um, They weren't taking some things like battling. Like they didn't battle for like Mm. the first two thirds of a game when we had them on hard, Um, which we were kind of just surprised at. We thought they were going to like really squash down. They only focused on um, the Woodland Alliance at one point. So I think that's part of the early access is it's learning, but like, don't get me wrong. I have lost, we lost to the Woodland Alliance that game. um, And I've lost to the Vagabond and different factions. Um, So, Although I think there's some just tweaking, I think it's good. Um, I think it's effective. Um, but I, the thing is you have to recognize that it's playing as a player that I'm not used to. So I also might be making some assumptions there, right, um, about what they're trying to do personally. Yeah. 
I'll be interested to see how that grows through early access and into the, the actual game itself. The other thing I just want to point out, which I think is important to reference, um, I think it's a really good thing they've done, but it's a little weird. Um, it's not what I'm used to in playing a game digitally. And that is, so when I am doing a battle, right? Let's say I am battling XYZ faction. It actually goes to like a cutscene fight between me and them. I saw that while skimming through. I, I, I saw the screen where it had the cutscene battle, and I, I was interested in that. Do so battling involves dice rolls. Are are you chucking dice still? And, it, and how does that feel? I've yeah generally avoided dice chucking games on digital adaptations because I think the fun in a dice chucking game is chucking the dice. So how does that feel? um in in the digital world yeah yeah and you're right like i'm gonna because that's where like the luck and like how are my faction doing in this moment right like that's why you do that to simulate those things um the way they did the graphics it's like a cutscene anime street fighter mortal Kombat. not mortal Kombat. that's way too gory um but like street fighter but cute woodland creatures like with strike the the movement lines from an anime kind of rushing by and it was cool. Um, it was simple because it just rolls the two dice. It's two D12 um, with zero, one, and three on them. And they have multiple instances of those numbers on those dice. And then it assigns them the correct way. Because if you're the Woodland Alliance, you always get the higher result, which is how their faction works. Um, and then it lets you play cards. It, sh- it prompts you with what cards you have in your um, that you've crafted um, that you might want to add to that battle. Um, and so it takes care of all those things. But honestly, it, it kind of felt epic. Um, so yesterday I was playing against Justin, but I wasn't fighting Justin and I was the vagabond and I was playing as the thief, which is this trash panda with a little, like, like little knife. Like he's going to just stab, run and stab. Um, and the cats left their keep undefended, which is like their corner of the board. It's their castle. And so I set fire to the whole thing. And I actually was, I was so inspired by the moment I hit to screen record that um, because I'm like, I want to have a video of this little raccoon coming in and torching a castle. Um, Like it was epic. But what's interesting is I am the only one who gets to see that when you're playing against somebody else. So when I was having that battle that Justin was not involved in, he didn't see that cutscene battle. He saw that area of the board just kind of go up in a dust storm. Kind of like if you were watching a cartoon, um, But what it's what's nice is and what that does is when I finish my turn stuff, it speeds up and essentially takes care of the AI for the other factions in a speed where I am not having to just sit and wait, wait and take my turn. So it kind of and I say it's weird. I, I led with why it's weird, because sometimes you'll be talking about something you're seeing that somebody else isn't. Right. So they might be seeing some other action or start of an action happen a couple seconds, maybe like five seconds before you do. Um, or it takes longer for you than it does for them. Like the whole cutscene took longer for me to watch than it took for him to watch. So, sure. it kept, it, But it kept the speed of the play high, which was cool. I know that was a lot about it, but there was a lot of th- cool things to talk about. But again, early access, check it out. It's on Steam, all cross-platform stuff because he was on PC, so we're good. Um, so Josh... I think it's time we get into our much um, 
more important for our listeners probably um even though those games are amazing um but i know this is a hot button one we talked about this one coming out and that is our early impressions on pendulum which i've actually been able to play so listeners what we're going to do is we are going to um talk about pendulum and then josh is going to interject some questions because i know he's going to be getting it to the table very soon because he just got it in Um, but with that being said wanted to share today's secret code so josh why don't you tell us what the secret code is for that giveaway so for our giveaway on, uh, and you can find this on Facebook and, and our social medias, uh, our contest secret code for this week is thank you. That is thank you, no spaces, um, just T-H-A-N-K-Y-O-U. Perfect. And actually, there's a link in the description of this podcast feed you're listening to. Um, you just need to do this within the month, month of um, September 2020. Um, so just enter before the end of the month. Um, so Josh, um, you and I have talked about Stonemire games a lot on this podcast. Again, still not a Stonemire podcast. Um, but again, this is going to be early impressions. Um, Josh, how do you want to start this? Do you want to kind of give an overview of what you know going in of like, this is what I know about the game, and then I can build on that? Absolutely. So Pendulum is the newest game from Stonemire Games designed by a brand new game designer, Travis Jones. Uh, Pendulum is the, the big takeaway for, for Jamie Stegmeier, at least, as he was deciding to, to create this, according to him, was that Pendulum is actually the highest scoring game in the history of Stonemeyer Games Game Design Day, which is an event where folks come together, uh, and play test a variety of games from game designers, uh, rate them, and then uh, the folks over at Stonemeyer Games take those scores, look at the games, and occasionally pick up one of those games to publish. So Pendulum is a game for one to five players, uh, and it is a worker placement real-time game mm-hmm. where players are using their workers to take actions. Um, but rather than having turns, uh, the, the actions are marked by a timer. So when you place your worker down, they are locked up for a set period of time. So there's a 45 second, a one minute and a two minute sand timer that comes with the game. And when you place your worker, you are placing your worker onto an action space when the timer flips, they will begin taking that action. You will receive the resources, but that player is or that worker is stuck in that action space until the timer flips again. Uh, once the timer flips yep. again, you can then pick up your worker and assign them to a new action space. Um, throughout this, you are trying to collect various different resources to gain different victory points. There are, are some asymmetric characters uh, involved in the game, and I believe there's a easier side where yep. the the main difference is really your scoring, end game scoring, but not so much. Everything else is the same. You, yep. Yeah, how your actions play. Whereas there's a more advanced side with some unique action abilities and different um, di- different ways in which you will score some points. So 
that is my general understanding of how the game plays right now. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I am incredibly, incredibly excited about this. I ordered, got on the pre-order within 10 minutes of it going live. Um, I was very, very quick to jump on and, and pick this game up. I have not had a chance to get it to the table. I have laid it out and set it up for a a two-player game and played through a couple rounds of it just to teach myself the basic mechanics so that I can... I I typically do this with any new game I get to um, help myself decide how I'm going to teach this game to people. It's a good idea. But very, very interested to hear, Bruce, your... If there's anything that I've missed about the game... And and what your first impressions after playing, and I believe you've played with a two-player game at this point. So I'd be very interested to hear kind of what your impression of that has been. So there's some really important things to know, Josh, but you really hit the nail on the head. Um, just some minor things. So like the timers are 45 seconds, two minutes, and three minutes. Um, the game's going to take place over four rounds. Um, around, there's... For the there's three timers. There's a black one, a green one, and a purple one, and those are the respective times. So 45, two minutes. Purple is uh, three minutes. When the purple one flips a third time, that's that initiate. That's the last little thing of the game um, for that round. Um, so when that happens, you finish out those actions and you're done uh, for that round. Um, game is going to score based on victory points. Um, the interesting thing is if you look at the player board, if you happen to just look up a picture on board game geek, you notice the player board has these three tracks up on top, technically four, but one's just one circle. Um, those are your victory point tracks, almost like a blood rage style track. Um, but there's this gold box and you have to a get that one with a single one. It's called your legendary, um, into that gold box in order to even consider winning the game. Um, and then the other tracks you're going to score based on if you have all three other tracks in that yellow box, um, you'll score, you'll add up the points there. So each of them is worth one and that's your score for the game. If you have all but one in that area, your score is actually going to be how many points away from there you were. Um, so it's a lesser, it's a negative. Um, so it's just important to note that, um, you also have each player, yes, it's asymmetric, quote-unquote, and we'll get into that, um, has four cards. Um, these four cards have similar actions um, because you can. It's a, not, it's a non-action thing to play a card to your player board. And those actions um, are essentially your asymmetricness, um, but they're little actions you can take to pick up a worker from a space that has a timer because usually you cannot, if a timer is on a row where a worker is, you can't touch that worker. Um, and similar to another Stonemire game, and that is Viticulture, you have Grande workers who are bigger, um, and they can go places where other workers are or other Grande workers are. Um, so they can kind of muscle their way in. Um, but just like you, Josh, I pre-ordered this thing immediately, and um, I, I honestly bought it, and then I texted you that I did that, and you're like, one second, and then you placed your order. Um, yeah, and uh, you pointed something else I should have picked up on the Stonemeyer website that I didn't. Um, but yeah, so that is essentially the thing in a nutshell um, of how it really works. But um, Josh, we talked about this being a real-time game. And uh, the rules, everything, say this right when you open it up. And that is that um, for your first play, 
they give you this timer track and I have it actually in my hands um, to kind of walk you through the flipping. And now when you're playing with this, you're not playing with the timers per se. You still have them on the board. And that was kind of confusing for um, the other player, my wife, um, because she's like, but we're not playing with the timers. Why are we using the timers? The timers become symbolic if you're, if you're using um, this timer track um, because it tells you which ones to move at what times. Um, so with that being said, there's a total of 11 times that you would be, you will flip timers on this timer track. Now that's not 11 flips. It's actually 16 flips if you're using this. Uh, but it's like one flip has like, you're flipping three of them. Um, so it's just important to know that now it's important to bring it up though, because, because it's a real time game. And there are three zones of the board um, with two, two rows because you have a timer in one row, no timer in the other row. The iconography across the board and figuring out how you generate your little engine of taking actions, you, have to, you really have to play with this timer track without using the timers for the sand aspect and the timer aspect because you need to be able to make some decisions in relatively quick time So it's important to essentially teach players and teach yourself, what the heck do I need to do? Um, So it is imperative that you use this. Now, you can choose to not use it on your second round, your third round, your fourth round of your first game. That's absolutely your choice. Joshua, we found, though, when we got to those points, it was still trying to figure out how the patter really works to build your engine. Um, so we ended up not using the sand elements again, this is first impression sand elements for the entire first game. So Bruce, let me ask you, yeah. and, and that was my impression. My impression when I picked up the rule books and started moving through it, my impression was it's probably going to take at least a full playthrough, if not multiple playthroughs to really know to the extent that I can make a decision in 45 seconds about what my next action is going to be, what the different actions are going to do and what, what actions I can take and what actions are available to me given any specific point in time. So with with that, do you feel so? So, right, this this board that you that it comes with that you're talking about that that tells you when to flip different timers on different actions and those types of things. It's simulating the idea of time passing, right? It's yeah, it's kind exactly. of exactly instead of having this very real, you have 45 seconds to make a decision it is simulating that that those decision making while giving you the time and ability to really process through what your decision is going to be do you feel that using the turn based system rather than the time based system takes away from the experience i do i do and it's a great question i say i do because I think the time-based thing makes, I'm trying to phrase this. Um, yeah, I'm hosting a podcast and I'm struggling with some words. Um, 
the time-based elements, I think, adds a weight to it, a pressure, right? Um, but to be honest, even with an unlimited time, I still don't know if the choices we were making were beneficial. Now, I'm going to get into the reason for that. And, but here's the thing about the timer that's important to know, the actual sand timers. The rules state that the round will end when the purple one flips a third, uh, the third time. So that means that if, and it also says you don't have to flip a timer if once it, flow, once it runs out. So that means you could get a lot less flips of all of them, except the purple one. The, only, the purple one could, has to flip the whole three times. But the other one, you might be looking elsewhere and all the play, other players are looking elsewhere. So you just might not get a lot of actions in the green area because people just keep forgetting to flip it. Because you have to take the initiative to flip it. Um, so I, yes on the importance of having the timers, but at the same time, no, because your group might happen to just completely ignore it by accident. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting um, perspective. And, and and I think the actions that happen with I, – I think the, the rules giving you the decision to not flip a timer can become really, really intriguing or sounds very, very intriguing when you think, okay, well, my opponent – has their worker tied up in green. Right. I see that green is available to be flipped, but maybe I, rather than taking a green action and flipping it, I wait and, yep. and just keep that worker tied up for them. Or I see that the timer is available to be flipped. So now I make a decision that I'm going to immediately place my worker and then immediately flip it so that my worker is tied up for less time. Right. And and so I think there's some really, really, really nice depth that the timed process goes through. But but it sounds like you're not entirely on board with with the way that this game plays. So I, I'd love to yeah. hear kind of there's another more reason of your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, there's another there's there's another reason that's important to bring up. And this might sound weird, but I can see why it scored so well at a game day versus the experience I had. The reason I can see it scoring really well. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like Travis, like this is a, a game that you, if you were listening to this, like you poured a lot into and I'm very thankful for it. it is very innovative um, as well as Robert for doing all the art on this. But the hard part is I could actually see this game performing better as a prototype design. And the reason I say that is because I think the art got in the way, even though, cause it's nice. Right. Mm -hmm. But what that meant is there was in a real time game, there was more thinking and processing I had to do to figure out what action spaces I could take to get me the things I needed. But I could see on a prototype that is just like a bare sheet. And I don't know what the prototype for this looked like. But if it was just bare and the icons and it was just the icons, I could see it being clear as day. So do you is the issue that you take with it the iconography or is the issue the busyness of the board? It's the busyness, the iconography and the colors. 
Um, so the, the busyness, so like it's a, it's like a table in front of you. Um, but there's this other thing of the asymmetricness and yes, the, you have a better deck of cards, like four cards. If you do the more advanced side and the powers are slightly different. Um, but the art was so whimsical and like evocative for like an Alice in Wonderland almost style art. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but really cool fantasy that I didn't have a connection between that art and why we were doing the things. Um, so that was just the disconnect there. It was more of like focusing on the activity, the fun of the, of the generating stuff and like focusing in on the board versus I felt pulled away from it. Um, the iconography was difficult for us um, in trying to make fast decisions because we tried to kind of go to normal speed, um, but we, obviously we weren't exact because we weren't using the actual sand timers for the sand elements. And I, but what I say is, so there's a couple different things. So there's uh, red met, uh, as a circle represented power, which is the victory point track. Red as a square represented military red as a hex represented production of the red production area blue um as a circle represented prestige the victory point track blue as a circle a square represented culture reese's resource like military um and then a dark purple that was very hard to distinguish from that from the blue shade they had was um production of as a hex of purple Um, but actually that usually gave you another thing, which was a light purple instead of a dark purple, which the color is on your board, um, vote token. Um, and then there's also a blue color for a player. Then at the same time, besides the dark purple for get usually generating votes, um, that action, that, um, production area, there's a dark Brown that almost looks like a dark purple. That is production of the um, your popularity, which is the third victory point track. Um, so that was a yellow circle that was on a brown space. So you had to connect the shape and color of the area to know the type of action you're taking. And then the symbol within it, which could be the same color or a different color as a different shape to tell you then what resource, what victory point track, etc., that you would then move or get. And so there was layers of thinking you had to think with every single space. And if you take what's called um, conquering a province, it changes up because you can make your production areas better by doing that. Um, You slot them in. Um, So if I was to take the purple one, I I could add another purple thing, but it might be a different type of icon that I get and different type of color. Um, and the hard part was too, and I know I'm just kind of laying out things, but I think it's important to bring up so you can then ask the questions was that the, um, victory points had a symbol on them to make it better, um, for like, if you're colorblind, however, the victory point tokens, there was no sticker, there was no screen printing anything on them for, nor the resource cubes to distinguish them easily. And the spaces they were on the on your player board, um, the, although you get a square cube of that color, the the space you'd put it into is a square, but with the sides bent into each other, like bows, like two sides of a circle coming together. So it wasn't always clear because that can slightly look almost like a hexagon. 
I see. So I, this was something that that I, I I did notice in terms of. So one of the things that I I made sure to do before making the decision to purchase this is I always try to watch um, some of the the folks who get early copies and and I watch Rado's playthrough. I did as well this game, um, and and. I noticed Rado making a, a number of mistakes in his playthrough in regards to exactly what you're talking about, the iconography and the the difference between these things. I, I think my my question, Bruce, is so the color you, you describe these colors and the different ways in which they they play out, but correct me if I'm misunderstanding this really when you're talking about production of a color. So let's take red, for example. Yeah. Red cubes are military, right? Represent your military power. Uh, and then red victory points are power. That's circles. Yep. Yeah. And the red hexes is producing mm -hmm. military. No, uh, not necessarily. No. Well, uh, well so it is producing Producing the red, it's producing the red section on your player board, which could include military, but you could upgrade it by conquering provinces. But with so if you were to play with the advanced sides, it might not mm -hmm. be military. Oh, yeah, interesting. Right, and when you upgrade it by adding provinces, it might not be military. Yeah. So. But but you're producing that section, right? Right. And so when you're producing, then – so let's say you do produce some military. Okay. You Is it not true that you are then turning that military into power? There's other things you can do with it besides turning it into power, but your ultimate goal is to turn it into power for the purposes of victory points. Is that – correct or am i missing something there yeah you're there's a disconnect um okay so you would and it's a great question um you would turn usually if you're taking that production area and you're going with the base side of your player boards right that would be military which means that you could get the military cubes to add to your player board the red section which then has a shield with two swords icon which you can then use on the main board um when that uh, those spaces are activated and you happen to have a worker there to then get provinces. You actually do not spend military no. units to go up on the red victory point track. In the green zone, you'll spend two money to go up one on the victory on that victory point track and you'll also get a vote. There is no spending of military units to get uh, red victory points. Yeah, I think that makes things very confusing. Right. Um, Especially and, and if so you're I, getting a province that's going to be for something else that never gets you the, the red in the end. Sure. I, I understand. I, I think part of that is understanding the, the... So I would compare what you're describing very much to a game like, and I don't, I don't know that you've actually played this Tricarion. I have played it. 
where so with Tracarion, right, your when you take it and you look at it as a like you you pull all of the story, the narrative out of it, it becomes very confusing mm-hmm. um about the the sequence in which things take place. Um, right. And so I think when you're look, what you're describing to me is when you're just looking at the iconography, it's hard to put two and two together. Right. But when you start to create the narrative in your brain a little bit, right? So I'm earning victory points or I'm earning military power and I'm going to use my military to go out and conquer provinces. And these provinces are going to give me a boost to my production of some type of other resource. It may be military. It may be culture. It may be gold or wealth, but I'm using those, my military to conquer provinces, which are giving me an upgrade to my, I think the, the disconnect is that the iconography may not be perfect with the story that this game is trying to tell. Do you Correct. Think that that is accurate. I do think that's accurate, especially when you look at your player board. The A side, the basic side. Um, I'm going to go through them for you. Yell, yellow hex has where you'll get two money. Right. That if you do the yellow one, you'll get two money. If you do the purple one, you'll get five um, five culture. Um, so it's a purple within a blue symbol on it. Um, the red one will give you military. The brown production will give you power, the red victory points. So you've got this brown hexagon with a large red circle on it, which makes the hexagon hard to see. So, so it sounds like it's, it's, it's an issue of puzzling out the the yes. iconography. Yeah, so that's why I'm like you that's why I said flat out and I thank you for helping me get there. Um that's why I said flat out you ha- like we had to play the entire first game and probably a most of a second no matter if I was playing a two player if I was more player just honestly my current feel right now is that I would have to play it without using the sand timers for the sand just so we can understand those layers because it is it's a little muddy um and so you really like we to understand the pattern of the iconography in those layers but then also the pattern of these different spaces flipping right so there's just a, a it's it's essentially a whole culture in itself with two cultures in it to then understand and we didn't even talk about um the achievement deck and things like that um nor at the end of the round little bonuses and things like that. So there's still other layers to this um, that have to be understood. Now, for me, I think this is a game. So my one of the things that my wife said is, if the thing about this game is that it's about time, and the box says time conquers all, and the thing that made this fun for people at the game day was playing it with these timers. And it is an innovative thing of like using time to do like more powerful things. I've actually love it when games have that. Um, there's a game we got a couple of years ago from BGG attending BGG con called Samara. When like you wanted to do production of another worker, you had to offline a worker for nine months. Cause guess what? They're pregnant. Um, so like that manipulation is cool. Cause different things take different amounts of time. 
So that is cool to have that in real time. But the hard part for us was, well, how many times do I have to play it where I can have the real game? Right? So sure. if, if you have a group that is committed and, want, and is going to go through the, we're going to understand this, we're going to understand like you're doing your five by five, I bet by game three, you're going to be in a really good place and probably have a lot of fun. We have to be willing to get to game three. So, yeah, I, I find this very interesting. So, Bruce, I, I know you haven't played Zulkin. We, we discussed this a, a little bit earlier. Um, but Zulkin is a game that, that Jamie Stegmeyer has compared the feel of Pendulum 2. Uh, and, and that is the puzzle of the game is how to manage a representation of time, whether that be in Zulkin turns or, or rounds, right? You're, you're, you're leaving your workers on the board for a number of rounds or for the purpose of pendulum, either these turns that you're simulating the passage of time via or, or the sand timer themselves. Do you feel that 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 is something that comes through when you're using when you're not using the sand timers? Do you feel like you are man it the puzzle is in managing time? Um or do you feel like you get so lost in this puzzle of figuring out the iconography that you lose that time management piece? We felt the time management because it does walk you through when the different things will flip. And so we were actually able to like think, okay, black's going to flip next. So like, let's see how I can manipulate that. So we did have that. And we definitely had the other thing of like, ah, um, I can't put it there. Or I had to call her out or she had to call me out for putting a worker someplace we couldn't, which I don't know that we'd be able to do in real time just to put that out there. Um, but so we were able to feel that pressure of that wall of we can't go there because there's a timer or ooh how can I make sure to manipulate that we did we definitely felt that I think the hard part was is that with the art being as cool as it is on the player boards and things like that and then this enigma of the um, layers to the actions spaces then how do you generate the things that any resemblance of a theme for us was lost. So we lost our, why am I doing this? Hmm. And yeah, so that, that, so there was a disconnect of trying to figure out that puzzle and trying to know where I'm trying to go. And, but having that theme, that narrative theme of anything kind of go through. Sure. So, I think that brings me to to my next question, which is, do you think that the puzzle is enough to hold up against a lack of theme or, or an inability to see the theme? So it depends on which puzzle we're talking about. Um, the timer puzzle. Yeah, I think that is the puzzle of the action spaces. I don't think so. Okay. Um, and I say that because my my wife picked this one character, and because kind of looks like a almost like a the the queen from Alice in Wonderland, um, the Queen of Hearts. So, 
and I had this almost like beast guy, um, from like beauty and the beast with like counting his money. So my guy was all about money. Um, but that wasn't necessarily what I was trying to do at the, in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. and that got lost by trying to figure out the puzzle of the game of the, um, action selection. Um, which I know they tried to mitigate. I didn't talk about this, but every there's the three areas of the board and there's two rows per one where you'll put a timer, one where you won't have a timer. Um, the action spaces are actually the same icons on both rows. So you really only have to learn three tracks. Um, it's just how many workers can go in those spaces change from row one to row two or vice versa. Um, so they did try and make it a little bit more streamlined, but those layers and iconography aspects made me lose the theme with that. Um, but I could see if you want, if you had the timer element and you wanted to play up your character, you could probably do that. Um, but the other part makes is where it gets lost. So Bruce, I have one more question on, on the theming here. Okay. And, and I think this comes to how you learn and how you teach a game. And We've played a lot of games together, but I don't know that we've really done a whole lot of teaching um, games to one another. That's true. And so my question for you is, when you are learning or teaching a game, how much do you read into the theme? when you're? So when you get a new game and you... So let's take Pendulum, for example. Yeah. The first page of the rule book is this story. Right. Do you sit down and read that story and become immersed in the world before you start to learn the game? Or do you sit down and learn the game and hope to pull the theme out of it? Personally, for me, when I am learning a game, well, first of all, whenever I'm getting a game, and this is probably no surprise as a podcaster um, in the gaming hobby, I consume a lot of content, a lot of content. Um, that decision to get something doesn't really come lightly, um, except if it is things like, I know I've already heard all of these things and read all these things. So yeah, absolutely. In that moment, I'm going to buy it. Um, but I put a lot of weight behind making those decisions. So for this one, like I had watched everything for Rado. I had watched um, the Watch It Played video by Rodney. Um, I'd listened to other reviews online. I watched the um, Dice Tower where Tom Vassell talked about it. And so like I'd put a lot into it. But when I'm learning the game then, so like Rodney always introduces like he has like a one paragraph thing, which this has. Um, for this game in particular, on it's the first page is split up into two halves. I read the right half um, of the general overview theme um, because I think that that is a, a trick and a tip for good teaching is to create a narrative of what the heck we're trying to do, even if it's anecdotal and small, right? Um, to try and capture that. Then when we're playing, let's try and tell a story of what we're doing, right? So that's kind of how I go about it. Yeah, so that that is generally speaking also one of one of the tips that i have really picked up on more recently as i've been trying to improve the way in which i teach and talk about a game um, and so with pendulum right the 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 theme here is you're in this fantasy world um that has been ruled by a a 
timeless king for for an era. Yep. Uh, and the timeless king has gone missing, and so there is a power vacuum that all of these different nobles are are trying to fill to become the the next timeless king. And so, as you're going through that, then. Do you so so for me, at least when when I'm then when I take that concept and I start reading the rules, I am then building the narrative in my brain, right, of these. This action is the equivalent of me doing my character doing X, Y or Z, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like that's possible in this game or do you feel like it's so abstracted that that the the theme is is impossible to come through. So I think that that theme of there's a power vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. That is like yes, it has this flavor text about that kingdom and things like that. But when you're playing as a player, honestly, I think you'd care more about your person. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. So there, the story has six paragraphs. I'm looking at it right now, um, and then your character, which has a basic and advanced side each of which with their own separate deck of four cards um, has a single one to two sentence thing about them mm. on page five of the rule book. And the thing is about this, you're having to learn everything else about it, but then it comes after, let me tell you about these characters. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, one thing I didn't even get into that is just important to mention is before getting to that, Page three of the rule book, because page one is the cover. Page three of the rule book is a photo of the game, right? So to help mm-hmm. with setup, it's giant, printed up. This is a pretty huge sheet of paper. Um, listeners, if you've played like Viticulture or some other games before, where there's definitely a way, like a way where all the icons are oriented, where you can read them, like looking at a painting, right? This is printed. If you were to turn that, uh, about a hundred degrees to the left, to the right. So you're actually looking at this from almost an upside down angle to set up the board. Mm. So before you even get to the, so it gives you these five paragraphs, six paragraphs, but then it hits you with this, not the easiest thing to set up the board that then throws you back into, here's one paragraph on each of these characters. And then here's another, how many pages is this? Here's another uh, 17 pages of rules. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce, I, we're, we're running a little long I know, on I know. this. And I, 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 know. I, I, um, there's so much more that I want to get in with this game because, like I said, I'm, this is a game that I've been looking forward to for since it was announced. And, and as many issues as I think it, it, I could see it having. And, and all of these things that you've brought up, I think are valid points. Um, it, it's definitely something that I want to get to the table and experience. And, and hopefully we can revisit it on a future episode Yeah, where maybe you've got some more plays under your belt or, or I've got a couple plays under mine, but I, I guess let's just go with what is your overall takeaway and your feel from this game? Cause it, it sounds a little 
negative, but but maybe maybe it, is there something here that you think is worth? I, I mean, it sounds like you you are interested in revisiting it. So what what is it that you're interested in in revisiting? Yeah, and I thank you for prompting it that way. Um, and I will say, I'm not trying to be negative. I am mm-hmm. just wanting to present it to our listeners. And yes, we've kind of gone way longer than this than you and I both anticipated, but it generated a lot of good questions because it is new. It has these new elements that haven't really been seen before um, and that needed to be unpacked to actually give you the answers. Um, so with it, I, I do personally think that I will play this again um, as I because I am dying to try it with people who know what's going on. That being said, for some players, they might not do that. Um, and I, res- I, re- I completely respect this game and I respect what's going on here. Um, but I just need to acknowledge that some I'm going to have to find players who are making that investment to play it out, to learn it. Um, because I think that then there could be some cool things that happen from those who really understand and can go past those, not the puzzle of the iconography and colors, but the understanding. Cause I don't think it's a, it's not as much a puzzle as it is a almost abstracting the abstracted in your own mind to understand innately where things are and how they work. So that's where I need to get. And I am excited to do that because I want to see the fullest of what these timers can do. Um, and the cutthroatness that can come with that, the, oh, I meant to pick that up. The timer flipped. Now that person's stuck there. What do I do? Cause it's not like you can use them for another action in that space actually. Cause you slide them. Um, I'm dying to see that. And that's why I say that I could, could have seen at a prototype day where it didn't have the extra things on it, where that would have most likely come through a lot clearer. And that is the thing and the experience that I'm wanting to have. So um, is my is my wife going to play it with me again? She's already told me no. Mm-hmm. But I am going to hang on to it because I think that I can have that other experience. And I'm in a place where I have the luxury of being able to ha- hang on to some games. Right? Mm-hmm. So, And also, to be fair, I can't really play it with a group of four because of COVID right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to see what interaction that that experience is going to facilitate down the line. But did this game, and again, this is not trying to be negative, but did this game hit as well as the other Stonemire games for us? No, it didn't. But ironically, like the name of the game, a pendulum, we all don't, we all don't stay in one area for time. We kind of swing back and forth. And so this one's going to be a swing one way or the other for each person that's going to play it. All right. Well, listeners, um, it's a very in-depth look at Pendulum um, from Stonemeyer Games. A uh, little bit of a mixed review from Bruce. I will be honest, this conversation, Bruce, has not diminished my desire to play at all because... I, I want to see some of this in action, right? Right. And so hopefully by the time we record next, um, I'll have had a chance to get it to the table and, and can provide a very brief um, uh, explanation of my thoughts as well. And so 
be looking forward to that. Um, and, and if this sounds like something that, that is interesting to you, um, yeah, uh, I believe that as of this recording, it has not launched for retail. So Bruce and I both pre-ordered this, um, and I believe that it should be going to retail sometime in the next few weeks. Um, I think they mm-hmm. said September was when they planned on it. End of September. Full yeah. retail release. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. so it is, it's mixed for me. Um, and again, I'm going to get it to the table again. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but it's just a game to know some stuff about. So just wanted to put it out there. Still love Stonemeyer. I'm very happy for Travis. I'm very happy, happy for Robert and them getting their game published and doing this cool art. Um, but it's a game that just do look, I look forward to hearing Josh. Now that you've kind of heard from me, what things that stood out for me, um, kind of what stood out for you, um, and how that landed for you. Um, so listeners stay tuned for that one in an upcoming episode. Um, but Josh, uh, we went way over our normal time. Um, so with that, I am going to cut us off. So how about you do some closing thoughts? Absolutely. Um, once again, I want to circle back around to say thank you once again to everyone who supported Bruce and I for the extra life campaign. Um, my, D20 dice from Extra Life as a gift is, is coming in the mail today. I'm very excited to to get that, and so could not have have made that day as much of a success as it was without all the support from you. So, thank you once again. Um, and as a reminder, um, we'll put it out a second time here. The contest code for this month is thank you as well. No space in that. Um, listeners you you're wonderful and your generosity and and support means the world to me and and i know it it does for bruce as well so thank you um i I hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you stuck around with us to the end of a very in-depth uh look at at a couple games here um hopefully this has been impactful and and this has been helpful for you in deciding you know what types of games you want to be playing, what types of experiences you want to be having at the table. And so um, thank you for listening. Um, and and I wish you all the best. Well, thank you, Josh. Um, so yeah. So listeners hop on over on the uh, Facebook feeds, all those kind of things to check out those different live stream things that we did for extra life. Thank you so much for your support in that. Um, it was actually really nice to see all that and just know that despite everything going on in the world, we can do some good. Um, and, and we hope that this has been helpful and we are so thankful to have you as listeners and we want you to enter that contest because we want to praise you in any way we can. So make sure to enter that secret code so you get those extra ways to enter. Um, but we just want to say thank you again for all the things, hop on over at all the social media page pages. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for being a gamer and in this amazing hobby. Um, and that we're I'm just so thankful that we have all this technology to allow these things to happen and to enable these things to happen, um, which wasn't the case really a couple of years ago. It's just really been a reflective time. So we encourage you to, and thank you to, for staying on this long episode. Um, look forward to hearing more thoughts on upcoming episodes, um, as well as a really fun and exciting and humbling other thing that Josh and I have been working on behind the scenes with some others for a while and that we're going to announce on an upcoming podcast. So you definitely don't want to miss that. And yeah, I'm going to spoil, like tease that one as long as we can, because it is a big deal. Um, so I will leave it tied to our quote that we always end the show with, because it has to do with it. But that is to um, hopefully 
wherever you are in the world, no matter what's going on, um, that you are out there, you're able to do some good. Um, so we encourage you to go make your positive impact on the world. Thank you.